0: a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney.
1: Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. My guest today is a musical theatre performer with a wide and diverse range of credits to her name. Now based in the UK, Cara Lane made her West End debut back in 2011 with Lenmere Tenor and has appeared in Rocky Horror, The Addams Family and most notably as Mrs Banks in the international touring production of Mary Poppins. She doesn't just hang around between roles either, founding a vintage singing trio, The Girls From Oz, with some fellow expats in the UK. I'm so glad that Cara has found time in one of her trips back home to Oz to come and be in conversation with me today. Cara Lane, a very warm welcome to MBS Fine Music Sydney.
2: Thank you very much. Hello.
1: Now, I think uh, it's been a particularly busy trip for you, uh, this one, and I think congratulations are in order. Am yes, right?
2: thank you. <laughs> yeah, I got married... Again, <laughs> to the same man. To the same man again. Yes. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> no, yes, just to
1: clarify, not your second husband. So that there had to be a UK version and, a, and an Australian there version do. thanks to yes. certain closures.
2: Yes, exactly. We got married originally in October 2021 and we had planned the whole big shebang and unfortunately it became very clear only a couple of months before we went ahead with it that Australia was not going to open up. So my no. mum, my dad, all my family and my best friends were unable to make it over. So we promised them we'd do another wedding when we got back. And here we are. And it was originally going to be a dinner. And then it turned into another big shebang.
1: (laughs) Scope creep, I think it's called. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Well, I'm glad it went well. You were brought up in Rockhampton. So Rockhampton Mm -hmm. to the West End is quite the transition. Tell me about growing up in Rocky.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite different. But there is actually quite a strong music theatre scene in Rocky. Um, there's a, a lot of us from the same generation that went into um, performing professionally. Um, there's Gretel Jenke, who I believe is now called Gretel Scarlett. Um, who uh, She played Kathy in Singing in the Rain. She played Sandy in Grease, and I think she's over in America at the moment. Uh, Matthew Robinson, um, wow. who is over in America at the moment composing new musicals. In in New York, yeah, there's quite a few people. So what is it?
1: Is something in the water?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it must be. (laughs) That good old rocky water. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then actually my mum is a singing teacher. So she's an opera. Uh, She was an opera singer when she was younger and went into teaching singing. And I obviously just... Picked up a lot along the way. I never listened to her. I was terrible. She tried to give me singing lessons and I just ignored everything she said. But secretly, I'd be sitting in the next room overhearing everything that she was teaching her students. So she did yes. teach me the majority of the things, yes, but I would never admit that. It's
1: different when you're hearing her tell somebody else. Exactly. You can take that as advice. You can't possibly say it. Exactly. Told you
2: directly.
1: So were, were you able to, you know, um, were there any outlets for your performing?
2: Uh, yeah, there was the uh, Rockhampton Stadford and the Queenslander Stedford. And every year we'd go away with uh, the local choir to the Queenslander Stedford, and um, that's where I learnt to love harmonies and blending of the voices. And and the Rockies Stedford was, you know, I think I entered every single category that I was eligible for whether it was dance piano singing acting poetry it was <laughs> anything I could enter I did it and it took over my life um, for a few months of the year and then on top of that we had the amateur musicals that I grew up doing which I absolutely loved and yeah I, I always felt like I had something to work towards whether it was the school production and that would finish and we'd have the local amateur production and that would finish and we' have a big Christmas concert and then that would finish and straight into the Queensland the Stedford, and then the local Steadford and and it was just wow. it was just my life.
1: Well, I think we have to have our first track of music now. And uh, well, this is I think a particularly momentous song for so many people, I think and it really summarizes an era. What what is it?
2: Well, I went to college in Sydney. In uh, I went to Brent Street, and my singing teacher at the time uh, gave me this song to learn, and I had never heard of it before. And I thought, oh my God, this song is mental. What is it? And then I heard Kate Bush sing it, and I thought this song is even more mental than I originally thought. But I, I absolutely fell in love with it, and it has—it's still in my repertoire today, and it's gotten me many jobs. It is Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. I
1: And only Kate Bush with Wuthering Heights, uh, and that is quite the voice and quite the song, and I think uh, it summarises a generation. Cara, <laughs> yeah. you're part of that. You are be a little young for that for that generation, a
0: little bit. It, 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 <laughs>
1: just, <laughs> a, just more than a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting how timeless timeless it is, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Uh, amazing to think that she uh, can write a song based on a, a classic novel by the Brontë sisters. Exactly, isn't
2: it? <laughs> and actually, I read. Wuthering Heights when I was in Bronte country uh, oh. when I was in Haworth in uh, Yorkshire many years ago um, and I'd, I was already in love with the song and I decided to read the book while I was there because you know situational it's quite exciting and then I remember running through the fields dancing like Kate Bush
1: <laughs> <laughs> You talked about uh, arriving in Sydney uh, to attend Bren Street which is where this song was, was introduced to you. Mm-hmm. Were there any barriers that you felt uh, as a child and then you know coming down here to to be at Brent Street, that you thought, how can I possibly make this a career?
2: Oh yeah, I um actually the year before I did Brent Street, I went to the Central Queensland Conservatorium of Music in Mackay, and studied. You know, it was a, it was a lot more academic up there, and it still had the practical side of of things very much, but it was uh, there was a lot of assessments and assignments, and. I kind of felt at that point I wasn't going to go into the – I wanted to go into the industry, but I felt like I was surrounded by teachers and if I was going to continue down that path, I was going to be a teacher myself, which is not a bad thing. That's My my mum did that and it was wonderful. And and it was fantastic training. Like it was one of the best years of, of my life for training. And I was going to do three years and possibly four, you know, and go on and get a bachelor or whatever. But I only did one year. And then I got the opportunity to move to Sydney. And when I went to Brent Street, I was surrounded by people who were actually in the industry. They were going and doing shows in the evening. They were teaching during the day. And it just felt like it was a realistic achievement then. It was a realistic goal. Whereas it was just a dream when I was up in Mackay. And not taking anything away from the training up there, it was was really phenomenal. But yes, being surrounded by people in the industry makes it feel a little bit more within your grasp, Mm. I think.
1: There was nothing that was uh, difficult that you felt, felt, oh my gosh, all these people know this and and I don't. I'm this country girl from Rocky.
2: Oh, yeah, I kind of felt like that my entire life and I still feel like that, (laughs) actually. I think we've
1: moved past that
2: point,
1: (laughs) just quietly.
2: Um, But I definitely didn't feel like a dancer uh, when I went to, even though I'd had dancing in my life Mm. and I loved it. um, I'd never really had... The full on training that you get when you're at Brent Street, six hours of dancing a day, usually. Um, and I did go to an amazing ballet school in Rockhampton, but I was very good when I was very young. But then for, I can't remember, I think financial reasons, um, my parents weren't able to continue that for a couple of years. And then when I went back, I was kind of behind and I never really felt like I caught up. And uh, so, yeah, I, I by the time I finished Brent Street, I had a lot of the teachers um, who didn't necessarily kind of rate me right at the beginning. I, I remember like auditioning and, and kicking my leg and falling on the floor and oh. <laughs> like running into people in a in a group dance and being that awkward one, a bit like Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl, you know <laughs> like- <laughs> And um by the end of it the you know, a lot of the teachers were coming up to me going, I would definitely hire you as a dancer now, which is oh. fantastic. And that was yeah, I was very proud of that.
1: So was there an aha moment where you uh uh, discovered something that you hadn't realised before, whether that's about the industry or, or you're about your own talents?
2: I feel like there was just loads of loads of aha moments, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like every day was a huge learning curve. And um, I, I don't know. I think actually more than anything, I realised that I was a particularly good singer. Mm. And that helped me because I was like, oh, okay, I'm better at this than I initially thought I was. And I think just developing that confidence more than anything is, um, is a huge step. And for years, I, you know, I, I had that quiet confidence to myself. And oh, I say quiet confidence, it really, it really wasn't. In fact, I, I probably um, was quite an annoying um, <laughs> person because like, it was a loud confidence, I, it was allowed it? confidence <laughs> but it was often not genuinely felt it was that thing of you know when you put on you fake it till you make it ah um, so I out and about, or once I was already in a show, then I would be quite confident, or come across as quite confident. But actually, in auditions, I'd fall apart. I would, <laughs> I would go, I can't do this. I'm not worthy. <laughs> and that took years to to get out of my system and to to learn.
1: Right. Well, uh, our next track is from something that you were in. So obviously, you didn't have to keep faking it. You you made it. We, we well, you made it at least with this. <laughs> yeah. something from the Adams Family. Uh, yeah. Tell me about about the Adams Family uh, being. In it and also why this track in particular was the one you wanted to hear
2: oh gosh I feel like my entire career I've been lucky to play incredible roles like Nancy and Oliver and um you know just incredible roles and loads that I've ticked off the bucket list and this one was really surprising it kind of I didn't know anything about it um I'd heard the song pulled from Adam's family which was quite um, popular, but I didn't know anything about this character of Alice Beinecke. And basically, the musical is set um, with uh, Wednesday Adams being a little bit older than she is in the traditional TV program. Um, and she's got a normal boyfriend. And the whole musical is about the normal boyfriend bringing his parents over to meet the Adams family for dinner. And so I played Alice, who's his mum, the normal mum. So all the way through uh, the first half, I'm very prim and proper and and very sweet and a little bit maybe sickly sweet, <laughs> too sweet. Um, and then towards the end of Act One, Pugsley accidentally gives Alice a potion, and she drinks it and basically turns into an Adams family member. She goes mental completely nuts <laughs> and it's the most fun I think I've ever had on stage in my life and it was fabulous because I got this amazing solo and I got to show off a completely different side of me so it was a really quite technically difficult solo there's a lot of belt there's a lot of um, head voice in there quite high notes a lot of twang so you're using all different parts of mm. your vocal technique and the acting I d- I more than anything i felt like i had to act my way through this song because she's telling a very passionate story but yes yeah, so i got to basically play two different characters in the one show and that was just so much fun
0: Mama, wait
3: fixating, debating, loose weighting, ice skating,
1: from the Adams Family, which my guest in conversation today, the actor and singer Caroline, appeared in. Now, Caroline that was actually a touring production, wasn't it? It so was. So that must add an extra layer of kind of gruelingness to the schedule, was <laughs> not it?
2: Yeah, it was. But actually, I quite enjoy touring. And this was a relatively easy tour because a lot of the venues were around London, where I, um, I live near London. So it didn't feel like I was away too much. And also, we had two days off a week. So I okay. felt like I was going off on tour on a Tuesday morning. I'd drive back Saturday night after the show and then I'd have a full day at home on Sunday and Monday with my husband and my dog. So <laughs> that was, I felt like a normal person, Much which more civilised nice. way yeah. of doing it, I suspect. <laughs>
1: yeah. Tell me about um, getting from Brent Street to London. What's the transition to, to get you from A to B?
2: I auditioned for a company that uh, actually... Di Heaton, who is a, was, I don't know if she is anymore actually, but, um, she is a well-known casting director who often casts dancers in Vegas-type shows. And again, I suddenly found myself being hired as a dancer rather than a singer or an actress, which I always felt I was stronger at. And uh, so I was hired in this um, casino show, which was very glamorous. I loved it. And then Dai said to me one day, you don't happen to sing, do you? And I was like, yeah, I do actually. (laughs) And I went in for an audition and she cast me in a show which was going to Taiwan. And unfortunately that contract fell through. And then she felt terribly bad about that. So she rang a company over in the UK who she had connections with and said – You know, I've got this girl, she sings, she dances, she acts, and I know that you do mini musicals on cruise ships. Would you care to audition her? And they rang me one night, I think it was 11 p.m., because they're in the U.K., and they said, could you sing over the phone to us? Sing (laughs) over the phone. It was before FaceTime or Skype or anything like that. So I sang down the phone to them and they went, fantastic. Could you get over here to start rehearsals in four days? (laughs) I was like, "Um, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. No problem. So I jumped on a plane. I packed up my life in Sydney, jumped on a plane. With
1: that little notice.
2: Yeah. I arrived in the UK and I had 30 pounds. I had $100 in my bank, which converted to 30 pounds. Back in the day because it wasn't so good. Yeah. And I got off the plane in Heathrow. I got my money out. I paid for a train down to Portsmouth where I was meeting the rest of the cast to get on the ship for a week as a recce cruise to watch the previous cast do their thing. And then we were going to get off and go back to London and rehearse for three weeks before getting back on the ship. And uh, I pretty much spent all of my money that day just getting down to Portsmouth and um, eating. And I was seasick the entire time we were on there. I didn't get out of bed except to drag myself to the shows. And we got back to London and I didn't have anywhere to live. So my director went, oh, it's fine. We'll just stick a mattress down in the office floor and you can sleep in the office. Oh, I <laughs> so I was, I, that's where I le- lived for three weeks and, um, and then got on the ship and I did a five-month contract. In office, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, and then finished that ship and got offered one that started the next day with the same company. And then by that point, by the time I finished the second ship, I had entered a relationship with uh, one of the other cast members. And he lived in, in Lincoln in, um, in the UK. And of course, I was you know, young and in love and did not want to leave. So the five month contract I was meant to pop over to do and then come back to Australia ended up being a 20 year.
1: It's still going. Yeah, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't quite decided whether you like,
2: do I like yeah, it? Yeah, do I?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Tell me about uh, life on the cruise ship. I mean, if you were seasick on that first trial voyage, mm-hmm. how on earth did you manage to Well, keep doing I
2: eventually it? got used to it, but also I tried everything. I tried uh, the tablets, I had a needle, but actually, the thing that worked was you get these wristbands that press against pressure points to oh. stop you from being nauseous on your wrist. And they were the only things that worked for me. So I would go on stage with this funny little. <laughs> wristbands around me, but they were the same colour as my skin. So I was just hoping no one had noticed and I managed to get away with it.
1: Good grief. So what were the sort of shows you'd be doing on the ship?
2: Well, on on the first ship, we only had three shows. So we had um, like a 70s boogie romance show and we had like a Legends at Sea, which was all the popular people at the time who were like Madonna and Britney Spears and um, more like a concert, but we had to impersonate And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, very funny. And I can't remember what the other one was. Um, It
1: wasn't Kate Bush, was it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I never got to impersonate Kate Bush, much to my heartache. Um, But no. And then the second ship I I did, we had to do 17 different shows. How long was the trip on Uh, the ship? It was a world cruise. Oh. So, yeah, we came all the way down to here, down to Australia. And then back again. And then back again. But
1: doesn't that mean that you've got different passengers, like they get on and off and so on? Yeah.
2: So, well, actually the world cruise, there were some people that stayed on the entire time, which was the only reason we learnt the 17 shows. Because you had
1: to keep having the variety. Yeah. Mm.
2: So we had three months rehearsal in London where I think we learnt about seven of the shows and then we got on the ship and we had to relearn the first show because you can imagine by that point we'd moved on and our brains were so packed. So we'd relearn the first show, tech the first show, perform the first show and according to the creative team that meant it was in the bag and we didn't have to look at it again until the next time we performed that show and we'd move on to the next show. And then once we had teched and opened all the previous shows that we'd learnt on land, we then had to start learning brand new shows. Mm. Um, So it was, you know, they had it very well organised and actually – I think it was fantastic for um, everyone in the cast to to challenge themselves like that. And I definitely got to the point where I could very easily pick up choreography and learn lines mm. and, you know, worked on the skills. So it was a real boot camp in that regard, mm, yeah, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So you
1: thought it was really good for you as a performer, I oh, guess.
2: Oh, definitely. It yeah. was fantastic training. It was like the next next level up from college.
1: Next piece of music now. And, uh, well, this is, I think, a very important one for you. What's this yeah. one? Yeah.
2: Uh, this is Being Mrs. Banks from Mary Poppins. And uh, I was so, so fortunate to be offered this role. I'd worked for Cameron McIntosh a few times in the past with Oliver, a covered Nancy. And then um, I actually was offered a couple of other Cameron Mackintosh shows just for one reason or another. Either I had another job to go to or I wanted to be taken seriously as a principal character and not have to understudy anymore, which is not a bad thing. I loved understudying and I think that is a whole different skill in itself. But I had made my own personal decision that I didn't want to do that anymore. And I think that turning those those two offers down were actually a very good thing because I think that was the only reason they took me seriously to play the role of Mrs Banks. And I had a wonderful time auditioning Cameron got asked me to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things in the audition, which was just comical um, and nothing at all like I had imagined that I would ever do for an audition for Mrs Banks. Can you I, share any of them? <laughs> yeah. or, are they,
1: or are they trade secrets?
2: <laughs> no, they're not trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Cameron doesn't ever hear this. But um, <laughs> I had my final and I hadn't met Cameron at this point for, for, during the, this particular audition process. And I'd had um, previous auditions in front of the rest of the panel and they asked me to come in early on my final audition day to kind of prep and so they could really prepare me for um, what Cameron, what they thought Cameron wanted. So I went in and they worked with me and I felt, you know, very relaxed. I was like, yeah, no, I feel prepared for this. And I went out and had lunch and then I came back for the actual audition in front of Cameron and I walked in prepared to sing Being Mrs. Banks and to do the script that they had sent me and, and that they had worked on me with. And Cameron just went, lovely, what are you going to sing? And I said, oh, I'm going to sing Being Mrs. Banks. And he went, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And um, he looked at my CV for a good 20 seconds, which in an audition feels like a lifetime. And he'd seen that I'd played Gertie Cummings in Oklahoma, Um, just previously and he said great, Oklahoma, can you sing Can't Say No and I was thinking Ada Wanny sings that, not Gertie Cummings (laughs) I don't know, I'd have never sung this song in my life but I, you know, being in front of Cameron McIntosh I just went yeah, I can sing that (laughs) it's no problem (laughs) And and the pianist looked up the music and he found the music and suddenly I'm going, I can't say no, <laughs> with the worst accent you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and um, we got to the end of it and I just went, and I've never sung that before in my life. <laughs> and the whole panel laughed. And... Um, And he went, oh, I just needed to see that you could um, you could do a very showy number because Mrs. Banks in the musical is, you know, she used to be an actress. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, Cameron. My entire repertoire is full of showy numbers. I could have chosen anything. Just tell me showy you just <laughs> and say,
0: please, you you a showy number. I've blown
2: you away with it. Sing me a
1: showy number. For goodness sake.
2: And, um, I think and he also
1: wanted to see how you thought quickly on your face.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I think yeah. he really is a genius and he does like to throw things to see how easy you are to work with and, yep. and how fast you're going to pick things up. And so I kind of knew that in the back of my mind, so I kind of just went with it. And it was fun. And I could see this little cheeky glint in his eye. And, um, yeah. I had so much fun doing it. At one point he asked me to do it in a Birmingham accent and I went, no, but yeah. I can do it in an Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed and, and he, he went, okay. <laughs> <ride>. <laughs> so I did.
4: <laughs> Whenever you spoke of Miss Andrew, you showered the woman with praise. But now that I've met dear Miss Andrew, there are one or two things I'd rephrase. To think you were raised by that monster And carried that burden through life If only you had seen that you could share it With your wife Being Mrs. Banks It's easy to forget way I felt that summer's day, the day when we first met. Being Mrs. Banks, being kissed by you, a man of dreams who made me feel that wishes could come true. And now, although you're lost, it's time that we close ranks. I'll fight for the man who needs free.
1: Australian cast with Being Mrs Banks from Mary Poppins. And that was the choice of my guest in conversation today, the actor and singer and dancer, Cara Lane, who played that role in the international tour. Uh, Cara, you mentioned understudies uh, in that uh, previous sequence. Uh, And as a theatre goer, one of the things we've seen, particularly as the performing arts industry has returned under COVID, there've been a lot more understudies having to step up, having filled that role yourself back in the day. Tell me about what that was like when you had to step up into the roles.
2: Oh, I have never been as nervous as I was the first time I went on for Nancy in Oliver. That
1: was your first cover, was it?
2: No, it wasn't actually, but it was the one that I felt the most pressure with Mm. because, you know, Cameron McIntosh Productions are such a well-oiled machine and – they know exactly what they want. And I just felt more pressure going on. And I knew that the creative team were in the audience as well, which didn't help. Previously, when I'd understudied, I mean, the first time I understudied, I didn't even get any rehearsals the fir- before I went on. And I felt completely relaxed because there was no expectation there, I imagine. But you were
1: in the show, were you?
2: I was in the show. It was Jesus Christ Superstar. I was understudying Mary Magdalene. Mm. And the first week we opened, our Mary Magdalene unfortunately got a migraine, quite a bad migraine. And I was in London that day, I think, doing another audition, and I didn't know about having to go on until I was on the train. I um, know it wasn't an audition. It was an appointment. If it was an audition, I would have already been warmed up, and I wasn't. And that was the point. I was on the train. I couldn't warm up my voice. And I and I got to the theatre, and um, my musical director asked me to uh, sing through the song with the orchestra for the first time. And I did, and I cracked. And, um, <laughs> and I just went, oh, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine on the night. And, yeah, so I, I felt completely fine going on. I didn't, you know, I wasn't nervous, and I... I had the guy who was playing Peter, my friend Craig Price, he was playing the role of Peter and he was side stage with me before I went on for every scene telling me where I had to move and what the blocking was and where I had to stand and where the lighting was and what light I had to walk into, etc., etc. And luckily the role of Mary Magdalene, she's not on for a huge chunk um, she goes on for little bits, and so there was space in between each scene for me to kind of learn what I had to do before I went on. <laughs>
1: wow, just but just like minutes, seconds, even before yeah. you're stepping on.
2: Exactly, exactly. But it, it was my first big job over in the UK, so I was very enthusiastic yeah. and I knew everything already, um, singing wise. I just hadn't had a chance to rehearse yeah. with the orchestra or with anyone else on stage.
1: But but often understudies would get. Better opportunities, I hope, yeah. to be rehearsed yeah. before. Yeah, going yeah,
2: definitely. On. Um, so, with uh, Nancy, for example, I had um, about two months' rehearsal. So, once we'd opened the show and I was playing, so I was playing the role of the rose seller who will buy my sweet red roses? And um, <clears throat> so once that was up and running and we knew what we were doing with that and everyone knew what they were doing in their primary roles, um, then we would start rehearsing and all the understudies would rehearse together. So you'd have two or three rehearsals a week of just the understudies. So, yeah, they were very—they wanted to make sure that you knew exactly what you mm. were doing if you wanted to. The Willow
1: Machine mm. part of it. But
2: it's mm. still, like when you go on, you're still performing against people you've never practiced with because you know, you're not likely to go on very often with another understudy who you would have been rehearsing with. So Mm. you're going on with the people actually playing the role. And even though you get to see them every night, it's still a very different experience when you're on stage Mm. playing a role that is directly connected to, to what they're doing and reacting to what they're doing. So...
1: Yeah, it's interesting you said before about you know declining about when you were moving on from being you know the understudy roles to being the lead roles, and you felt you had to decline the, the opportunity to be the understudy. I, I wasn't sure whether how much of a pathway that actually was. Like you know, oh, if you understudy Nancy, it means that oh well, when she goes off, you know, because she's gone to another job, and the production's still running, you get to step up into the into the role, or doesn't it really
3: work like that? It-
2: Sometimes does. So I was understudying Samantha Box, who was at the time, she had only just found out that she was going to be playing Eponine in the movie of Les Mis. And uh, then further on, because it was a 16 month contract. So we were there the moment she found out we were on stage with her when Cameron had... In Manchester, suddenly all of these news cameras came out in the finale and they were we were surrounded by news cameras and, and, and Cameron turned up on stage. We didn't even know he was there and then he announced that he, you know, decided to give Samantha Barks the role of Eponine. So we were all on stage going, oh, my God, we? So we were there from that moment to the moment that she pretty much finished filming the film. So when she was away doing a lot of her publicity and and prepping for the film, I got to step up into the role. So I got to play it quite a lot, which was lovely. But when it came to her having to... um Leave for a much longer chunk while she was actually filming the film. They wanted to put another name right. in the role. So yeah, it's it's a hard. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes mm. you do. You you are very fortunate to be upgraded, if you like. Yeah. But also, I understand where the producers are coming from because it's much harder to cast someone who they know can play that role, but also play another role in the ensemble because the ensemble is. You know, you've got to dance, you've got to sing, you've got to... And in my experience, it's been harder to do stuff in the ensemble than it has been to play lead roles. There's a lot more pressure on you to play lead roles and you need a certain star quality. But technically, it's harder to do ensemble, definitely. Interesting. Mm.
1: So how do you describe that star quality then?
2: <laughs> Me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Perfect answer. Perfect answer.
2: No, I don't know how to describe it. It's
1: it's Genesequire though, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's charm and it's just an I think it's something that it's hard to to teach, but you can if you know what it is, you can Mm. see it in other people and and I think, you know, being surrounded by other influences and growing up watching the old MGM movies and mm. and going to I would you know my mum and I would always travel to Brisbane or Sydney to watch the professional productions when I was a kid so you kind of you pick up on it and you go ah oh, that's like it's it's a skill but it's also... Yeah, it, I, I don't know if you can teach it or not. It's either, well, it's you've, either got you, it. you've got it or you don't. Yeah, yeah. I guess, Interesting. Yeah.
1: Well, someone who definitely has it is, uh, well, the original performer of what we're going to hear next. Uh, but we're not going to hear the original performer. We're going to hear a different version of it. Cara, tell us what we're going to hear and uh, why do you want us to hear this particular version?
2: So I loved David Bowie growing up. I watched him, you know, one of my favourite films as a kid was Labyrinth. You know, he was charisma, wasn't he? Yes, (laughs) he was charisma. He had the star power. He he was wonderful. Even at the, you know, ripe old age of eight or however old I was, I was probably younger than that, I couldn't take my eyes off him. (laughs) He was wonderful. And so I kind of, you know, I, I just loved David Bowie from a very young age. And watching his performance of Life on Mars taught me so much. He you know, he I don't, you know, there's not a lot going on in the music video. He is just it's just him. Mm. I think it's a white background. He's just yeah, standing it's... on a white background um, from memory and he's just performing to the camera and it is mesmerizing. But also it taught me a lot about simplicity as well. So I've always loved that song and I've always loved Bowie. And then I went to watch Lazarus a few years ago when it was out and it was his musical that he was producing and I believe he actually passed away during its run. Mm. Um, My friend Julie Yamini was in it who's another Australian actually from Perth so I went along to support her and to watch this musical and I still don't really know what it was about but it was wonderful. (laughs) It was was a a joyride of emotions and beautiful songs Mm. and Sophia, who sang Life on Mars in the musical, oh my goodness, I held my breath the entire time because I didn't think anyone could do it better than Bowie, but I wanted to burst out crying when I heard her, and it was so ethereal and pure and beautiful, and I completely fell in love with her. It's a
3: god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair She's lived it ten times or more. She could spit it.
1: Such an extraordinary song. Life on Mars, the music of David Bowie as it appeared in his stage show, Lazarus. The performer we heard, Sophia Ann Caruso. That was the choice of my guest in conversation. The actor and singer, Cara Lane. Such an ethereal song. You're right. It's just, uh, there's just something about it which is otherworldly. It's not just the fact that one of the lines is Life on Mars. (laughs) Now, one of the things that I said at the top of the program was uh, about your troupe of fellow Aussies in London, the girls from Oz. Mm -hmm. Now, something tells me that was just a one-off thing that suddenly grew legs. Would I be right? It
2: did, yes. I was asked to do a one-woman show at a theatre in Leeds. And it happened to be on Australia Day. And I also thought, oh, my goodness, can I do a one-woman show I could, but I would prefer to do it with friends. So <laughs> I um, asked, again, Julie Amity, actually, um, who I just mentioned, and my best friend, Simone Craddock, to do an Australia Day show with me. And I said, well, let's make it a bit tongue in cheek and we'll, you know, do some harmonies uh, to traditional, or not traditional, but um, typical Australian songs. And we did it. And by the end of the show, Everyone was lined up waiting to meet us and going, have you got a CD coming out? Yeah. You know, are you going on cruise ships? This is When's an amazing show. When's the next gig? Yeah. The next gig? Mm. And we went, oh, it's kind of only a one-off thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then before I knew it, I got carried away and I'd had costumes designed and I had... <laughs> I had you
1: just can't do anything by
0: half, I know. <laughs> I
2: had um, an amazing composer, um, and arranger... Neil Rutherford, who actually, um, he's English, but he's worked for the Australian Opera House. And he is so talented. He has written books. He... Teachers, he was he cast me in Rocky Horror Show actually. He was the casting director for Rocky Horror Show and that was a fun audition. Basically he asked me to sing one note up the octave and I misunderstood and I sang the entire verse up the octave <laughs> belting, like full on belting, like the high like I don't know. Um it was almost screeching if I'm honest. And he was on the floor <laughs> laughing and that was the first time I met him and from that moment we hit it off because we were both rolling around on the floor laughing mm-hmm. in the audition. And anyway, so he did the arrangements of some of our songs and also uh, another musical director friend of mine James McCulloch who actually did the arrangement of Staying Alive that we ended up doing and uh, yeah so we had a great time running The Girls From Oz and uh, it ran for almost 10 years actually, and we ended up having multiple casts um, and being, you know, being asked to do performances at the uh, at Australia House on the Strand. And Lovely. we did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and lots of fun, fun things like that.
1: Do you enjoy that cabaret style as much as the the, the traditional performance?
2: I do, I do, and I love that I've had the opportunity to do different styles. I mean I love musicals first and foremost I guess but being able to I mean I I wouldn't say I'm a skilled cabaret performer. You look at people like Ruben K and oh my gosh, you just go, how do they do that? It's so off the cuff. And I'm one of those people that needs to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and then being put on stage and having to communicate directly with the audience and just kind of wing and, inter- you know, um, mm. all the banter in between terrifies me. But I definitely learned a lot from doing that. And well, you can all... sing,
1: you know, uh, You can't. I can't say no from, uh, from Cameron McIntosh at the top of a hat. So surely this is nothing in comparison. <laughs> you would
2: think. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was also very fortunate to, just before lockdown, tour with a jive band, the Jive wow. Aces, um, who are the UK's number one swing and jive band. So that was a whole different, we were playing in arenas over in um, Europe. And I think we traveled to about 25 different countries one one summer. And so Again, that was something completely different that I was able to experience other than musicals. So, yeah, so cabaret definitely is something that I would consider doing again, and I learned a lot from.
1: Well, the next track of music uh, almost has parts of opera in it that sort of make these little cameo appearances. May I have a moment from Lend Me a Tenor? Now, this was a big key role for you. Tell me about about this one.
2: This was my West End debut, and I was able to I, – again, I was still understudying – <laughs> the song, uh, which you'll hear in a moment, um, is a selection of a load of different arias, and they're in German and French and Italian. And I can get away with German and Italian. And actually, I learnt a little bit of Italian. But French, I don't know what it is. I cannot. You can't
1: get your mouth I around it. it. I can't
2: do it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I wish it did because it's such a beautiful language and I wish I could speak French. I've always wanted to speak French. And I just, there's something in my brain that just goes, nah. Mm. And I did the audition for this and I was on FaceTime or Skype or whatever it was at the time with my mum, who I mentioned before was an opera singer, and she was working this through with me I think I was on for like a four hour Skype session with her so that she could teach me the Italian and, and teach me the arias how they're supposed to be sung and I got to the audition and I got to the French bit and I just went Something in French and I don't know what. And I, I'm, you have to forgive me, but I learned Japanese at school. <laughs> and, <laughs> and luckily they laughed. And luckily it was, you know, after all that work I did, they turned around and went, that's okay. She's not meant to be very good that's at it so anyway. <laughs> and I was I like, okay, it a great. <laughs> I, it a <laughs> I barely
4: opened up my little bag of tricks. This parland, oh dear, has only just begun. So forgive my being plucky, and enjoy the ride now, ducky, as I offer up my serenade
0: on for one.
4: Oh, this night mess is no ending. I could use a little air. I'm never taking pills again, I but swear. But I spend a little time and maybe go broke. Trade this pattern for something dead. my rubato is a little more legato as it flutters on a wing and a parade Vici
3: d'arte
4: Vici
0: d'amare
4: Non fetching mai male ad Un
0: the war,
4: the so Is
0: the Sache. <tours saiyakistles> lache. <i> <down>
4: with her father, then a curse makes her sleep, ring a fire and it's time for a drink.
1: Sophie-Louise Dan with May I Have a Moment from the original London cast of Lend Me a Tenor, the choice of my guest in conversation today, actor and singer, Cara Lane. Cara, is there any routine you need to go through before a performance? You mentioned about sort of warming up. Mm-hmm. What's that process like?
2: I actually have a CD that I was given by my original singing teacher in London, who was Ian Adams, who unfortunately uh, is no longer around. He was actually Sarah Brightman's singing teacher and Michael Crawford's singing teacher. And the story I heard years ago was that Michael Crawford was having a singing lesson with him and Andrew Lloyd Webber happened to walk past the singing room and went, oh, Who is that? That's my phantom. And then I was chatting to Cameron McIntosh, as you do. (laughs) And um, he corrected me. It was Sarah Brightman who walked past the singing room and she told Andrew that he needed to be seen for the role of phantom. But it was Ian Adams who was the singing teacher. And I have a 25 minute warm up that is very heavily opera based but a little bit crazy as well. It's like the pianist just went mental. It wasn't Ian who was playing the piano. He was kind of running the session. But the pianist was like going, <laughs> playing far too fast for a normal voice to be able to sing. But actually it's a wonderful warm-up because it keeps you on your toes and it gets everything working. Um, and because you're having to change notes so fast, by the end of it, you're singing like a lark because your your vocal cords. Vocal box, voice box is so relaxed and, and mobile and, and yeah, it's wonderful. So I've always relied on that for auditions and for preparing for any big concerts or anything like that. But when it, in a normal show, you actually get a warm-up with the cast and the right. musical director, so it's very easy. And then I just do my own little sirens or extra warm-up techniques that I need to do in my dressing room before I go on. Mm. So, yeah.
1: Well, there's been a lot of roles that uh, we've mentioned, whether it's, you know, from Oliver, Jesus Christ Superstar, Rocky Horror, there's a whole lot of them. But there must be a bucket list one that you have yet to get your teeth into. And I know this can be a a bit of a cursed question. (laughs) 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 Is there one that you, you really want to do?
2: I would love to play the witch in Into the Woods. I love Sundime. Uh, the first Sundime show I did was Sweeney Todd, coincidentally with um, Sophie Louise Dan, who's saying May I Have a Moment, who I did Lemme a tenor with. And she played Mrs. Lovett, and I played The Beggar Woman. So that made me fall in love with Sundime. Actually, that made me love performing Sundime. I was already in love with Sundime mm. because my favorite musical when I, I don't know how old I was, like early teens, late teens was Into the Woods and the Bernadette Peters version and I would I was obsessed. I would come home from school and put it on and watch the whole like three times a week or something like that. And if I couldn't watch the whole thing cuz I had to go to a lesson, I would just watch as much as I could before I had to go. But yes, definitely the witch in Into the Woods.
1: Well, I think we have to hear some of that now. What do you think? Definitely.
0: It's <laughs>
4: Get your prince, had to get your cow, have to get your wish, doesn't matter how. Anyway, it doesn't matter now. It's the last midnight, it's the boom splat. Nothing but a last midnight. Everybody smashed flat. Nothing we can do. Not exactly true. We can always give her the boy. No, no, of course what really matters is the blame Somebody to blame Fine, if that's the thing you enjoy Placing the blame, if that's the aim Give me the blame Just give me the boy No No No. You're so
0: nice You're
4: not good, you're not bad You're just nice I'm not good, I'm not nice, I'm just right I'm the witch, you're the world I'm the hitch, I'm what no one believes I'm the witch, you're all liars and thieves Like his father, like his son will be to a wife
1: bean. bean. wonderful Bernadette Peters with Last Midnight from Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. The choice of Cara Lane, my guest in conversation today. Cara, have you noticed how your priorities have changed over the
2: years? Yes, I just wanted to be in shows when I was younger and I still do very much. But I remember being so proud of myself, being in the ensemble and understudying, roles when I was younger and the main thing for me was to go from show to show to show which I did for many years I was very fortunate I'd finished one show and the most I had in between was like a month and a half two months which is you know almost unheard of in this industry really and then when I made that decision to only want to play roles and not to understudy anymore I consciously made that decision knowing that it meant that I would be out of work more So it was hard, really hard, because I just, you know, any show I see I go, I want to be in that. (laughs) I don't care if I'm the second tree from the back. I want to be in it. And, um, you know, I I also, my agent convinced me to turn down being in the ensemble for My Fair Lady, which was at the Sydney Opera House a few years ago with um, Julie Andrews directing. Mm. And, you know, she gave her reasons and she said that they were – bigger roles waiting for me in the uk and she was completely right that was actually at the time that um uh i did sweeney todd and then mrs banks so two fantastic roles that i would have missed out on although i do always regret not being able to work with julie andrews there is that that i hate to say
1: (laughs) (laughs) well that almost leads us into the next question which is is there any decision you would change if you could or maybe not because you've got those other roles
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's always things that you look back on and you go, oh, I wish I could have done that or that was a stupid choice. And But you can't, you, you know, you've just got to believe that whatever decision you've made, it's happened for the right reason and you're going to end up doing something that you didn't expect to do and mm. wonderful things come from that. So. Mm.
1: It's a great attitude to have. Well, Caroline, it's been awesome talking to you today. But before I let you go, uh, you need to properly introduce our final piece of music, which we'll go out with, which you did touch on when talking about the girls from Oz. And that is staying alive. Now, how was this recorded and and (laughs) where can we find more?
2: (laughs) Um, This is actually one of our demo recordings. So we were toying with doing an album. But the pandemic hit and, you know, maybe we will do in the, in the future. But um, basically the girls from us, we take Australian songs or songs that are connected with Australia. And I know the Bee Gees are controversial. Are they Australian? Are they English? But I know they lived here for a while, so we claimed them. Oh, we them, for <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> um, and we also have, like, songs, Men at Work, ACDC, Kylie, Sia, Tim Minchin, all of those. Wow. And then we do them in a three-part harmony kind of – postmodern jukebox style but very tongue-in-cheek as well. I don't know if anyone's heard of the cabaret group that was around a few years ago, the Fabulous Singlets and they were a very funny group so it's kind of a bit of an element of the Fabulous Singlets along with Postmodern Jukebox and these incredible arrangements. Most of the most of the arrangements we had um, made for the for the for the songs we sang are really quite sophisticated. This is probably the least sophisticated, but it's it's nothing to take. You know that that's not taking away from what it is. It's a beautiful arrangement and it's quite jazzy. This version was arranged by my friend James McCulloch, and uh, it's played by the Jive Aces And it is myself, Mandy Meadows, and Jessica Condon who are singing.
1: I look forward to hearing it. Cara Lane, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Actor and singer Cara Lane. Follow everything Kara is up to on Instagram at lane 90 and on Facebook at official. That's the program for today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast version if you can't always listen in at 1pm on Wednesdays. Just search 2MBS In Conversation in your podcast app or visit 2MBSFindMusicSydney.com slash In Conversation. I'm Simon Moore. Bye for now.